When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Phil Mackey. Little smart ass running around giving orders to everybody. Judd Zolgad. Judd. Do you enjoy any part of your job and any part of sports? Is there anything you take joy in? Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. The loose ball and the rebounding. And then, you know, the the free throws that they got. There's a difference in the game. But uh, the end of the quarter, end of the third, uh, Harris really hurt us. You know, that was, a, that was a big part of this game. Well, Johnny K., John Krasinski from The Athletic, was out there in Denver for that game last night. Wolves Wolves and Lakers tonight on a back-to-back. Where do you want to, do you, where do you want to start there? You want to start with <laughs> Jeff Teague dribbling for two hours, Andrew Wiggins' face on a milk carton, uh, Tom Thibodeau continuing to blame things like effort and toughness. Like, Where do you want to start after that one? Yeah, guys, uh, it was a rough one last night, that's for sure. I mean, there's there's plenty of ways you can go. I, I think probably the headliner has to be, you know, in a game that meant so much and that they needed so badly. Uh, one of their two stars who was available was a no-show. I mean, Andrew Wiggins was just a ghost out there, and they really needed him to step in when it was learned that Jimmy Butler wasn't going to be ready to go, and um, he just didn't give them anything and that's been a recurring problem this year i mean he will have flashes where he takes over and he you know he plays well in la so maybe tonight he goes for 35 but um you, they really needed him last night and he just just wasn't there and uh and and that's you know when you don't have that when you're in one of those tight games against a western conference team that's right on your heels as Tom Thibodeau said last night, you need everyone, and they just they didn't have everyone last night. Uh, Johnny, from the the outside, as a guy who goes to some games, this whole thing to me, for, for a franchise that has now gone 13 years with no playoff berth, this whole thing seems to me to be, while it's a step in the right direction record-wise, to be a joyless process. Do you agree with that assessment? And if so, um, as a guy who's around this team on basically a daily basis, Give me your thoughts on on why. I think I, I know, but I'd be curious to hear someone who's around Tibbs and these players a lot more than uh, than Phil and I are, certainly. Yeah, I, I think joyless is the right word to, to describe it. I mean, you look at their record right now, and they've got, what, 14 more wins than they did last year, and um, and they are, they are right in the hunt for their first playoff berth since, since 2004, and it should be one of the feel-good stories of the year this this franchise that has been in the abyss forever and ever kind of emerging out of it and, 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 and being relevant and being right in the, in the running. Um, but uh, it, there's been a bad vibe around the team for, for much of the season. And um, it just, it's very, very hard work 
that is being done right now uh, to to try and look for the positives and look for and find some joy. Now, part of that comes from leadership, of course. I mean, Tom Thibodeau is a hard grinder, is a guy who doesn't have fun with anything, and and so that kind of attitude does permeate throughout the rest of the franchise, and I think really it does permeate to the fans as well. I mean, that's the this is the environment that he's set up. And and I think all year long there has been this tug of war between Thibodeau and Jimmy Butler, uh, kind of the two hard-nosed, all-business uh, super competitors, and the millennials on the team, Carl Anthony Towns, Jimmy Butler, you know, even throw Tyus Jones in there, you throw a few of the other guys in there, Gorky Jang, um, you know, they're, 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 they're not on the same wavelength. And they, they both speak different languages, and so there is this disconnect, and there's this frustration that permeates from Tibbs and Jimmy Butler, and I think that some of the young guys, I, I don't think it rubs them the right way, and so it doesn't feel like a team. It feels like a group of individuals that nobody is really bringing together right yeah. now. Johnny, what? this is a, a deep question for you, but why is Tom Thibodeau the way that he is? You know, why, why does he not, he's... I don't think he's ever been married, and I mean, I don't know how deep you want to go here, but like the guy, clearly 20 or 30 years of life and work and whatever it is that crafted him to be the way that he is, I don't think it's, this is an understatement, I don't think it's a great leadership uh, style or formula. In fact, I think it's I think it's a detrimental leadership style and formula, but why is he the way that he is? Well, I, I think if you look at it, Phil, I mean, he's essentially been validated uh, because what he's done is scratch and claw his way to a level of power in the NBA that few people have in this league, and he did it. He wasn't a, a, a former player. He wasn't a high-level executive uh, back in the day. He came up the hard way from, from Nowheresville um, to, you know, he wasn't a star in college. He didn't have any kind of name recognition at all. All he did was pour his whole life into watching film and breaking things down and obsessing over basketball and only basketball every single minute of every single hour of every day. And so he made it now. He's the president of basketball operations and the head coach of of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And uh, and he did that, and the way he feels is he got here by having that maniacal approach, by caring about nothing else in the world besides what goes on in between those lines and how you what you have to do to win. And so it when when people say, Hey Tom, you gotta look at things a little differently. You gotta take a different approach. This isn't you know, some of your the, your 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 leadership tactics are not working. He doesn't look at it as, oh, uh, I'm I'm not doing the right things. I gotta do some soul searching. It's this has worked for me and I'm not gonna change what I do for anyone because cause it's gotten me to this point. And so there is a stubbornness there, but there's also a, you know, a track record of of results that have, you know, that have led him to this point. And so that's why I think uh he's so dug in with with the way that with the way that he is. Here's the one thing I don't get though. This is a guy who got fired by the Bulls and spent a year away from coaching. And as I recall, he basically very wisely, Johnny went and observed, right? He went he watched Pop work and he watched Brad Stevens work and he watched a bunch of a bunch of pe- people who certainly have d- different philosophies and ideas than him and and tapped into their brains. 
How do you do that and remain like this? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the million-dollar question. I mean, he, he was hired. When he was hired, he did say that he learned a lot on that on that kind of journey that he went on and and the sabbatical or whatever you want to call it. And and so I do know that in his the interview process, he was telling Glenn Taylor and, and those who were in charge of making the decision that, that he was going to do some things differently. Now, from a pure just basketball standpoint, I think he has done a few things differently in terms of the way he practices a lot less. Um, you know, some of the, the load that he puts on the players uh, in, in practice and things like that. But right from from a from just a pure communication um, relating to not just players but other people in the building, um, all of those things, it's been the guy who was dug in and was having grudge matches with with the Bulls front office. Uh, through, and 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 so there has been a lack of recognition that some of the things that he did in Chicago were responsible for the partying, and it wasn't just these idiot front office guys who didn't get it and and so that's yeah that's been a real it's been a real issue i mean he you know he has definitely isolated himself and the basketball operation side from pretty much every other entity in the building including a lot of the players too and and i think that that has put him on an island that is difficult now for him to get the benefit of the doubt um, as you know, as things go forward, like last night, guys, I really do think you know that it was m- much more on the players last night than Tom Thibodeau. Um, you know, he's had his games this year where where he's gotten out schemed and out coached, but um, I don't think that was the issue last night. I thought it was more of a Wiggins issue. Tyus Jones really struggled. Uh, There's a bunch of guys that that didn't play well, um, but you know, because he doesn't have a whole lot of allies, he is going to continue to take the arrows. And and no one's going to kind of fend them off for him. Yeah, well, the, and I saw you, you had a couple of tweets about Wiggins, and obviously, like I've been I've been critic number one of him the last couple of years. And I mean, it's not to me, it's not shocking when when he shows up very late, if not you know, if not at all for games like that. And I think some people are. I had like four or five people tweet me last night and say, "I love Andrew Wiggins, but man, I'm starting to see like why you've been so critical." And I just like there's something missing there. From an awareness, basketball IQ, passion standpoint, like there's when you watch other talented star players in the NBA or other sports, there's a certain passion or a fire. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in their style of play. And he just sort of jaunts through an NBA game, and he's very skilled, and there's games where he will score 30, but it's hard to define what's missing other than, like when I watch Carl Anthony Towns, Johnny K, I can see his heart beating out of his chest. There's things to nitpick. He's got to grow up, but I know that he cares. I don't know if Andrew Wiggins cares. Is that is that wrong? Yeah, I think that's fair, Phil. I do. I mean, and I've been more of a Wiggins defender, I think, than you know, than a critic for most of the season. And and part of it is he's still really young, and so so you kind of need to be a little bit patient with him. But yeah, sooner or later, you do have to see that that energy that 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 give a rip. Um, more often, and and so and that's a problem. Now, one of the things that I do wonder about is Jimmy Butler in his two um, press interviews this week sent very blunt messages Andrew Wiggins' way that he you know they he needs to be more competitive. They need him to care more. They need more energy and and more recognition of the stakes that are evolved out of him. And, uh, you know, Wiggins is so kind of in a bubble. He's very much like Joe Maurer in terms of 
the bubble that he is in and he doesn't necessarily realize some of the criticism that comes his way. But I wonder if he, if he kind of heard some of those words and just kind of said, you know, screw this, man. I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna yeah. listen to this. I don't have to take this. Like, I think there is some of that tension that is simmering there and, and they're just, it's not getting through to Andrew that whatever they're, it's not getting through. And a lot of that is on Andrew Wiggins. He's got to, he's got to step up. And he's got to figure things out and be and be a little more professional because they just they, they need more out of him. They just need more. Does Butler play tonight after coming close uh, last night, Johnny? I, I think he does. T- uh, Tibbs was saying after the game that there's a really good chance, and he even said that uh, you know they, they they talked things over yesterday and figured they'd give him one more day. Well, that was the direct quote, and so that would seem to uh, make sense that he would play tonight. Uh, you know, and then you say, well, why didn't he play against the Nuggets who are right on their heels? Well, it's in altitude, and he hasn't played in six weeks. And so there are some factors that you have to factor in there. And also, I think you could look at the logic of, okay, this team just went through a very physical game against the Nuggets. It's a back-to-back against the Lakers who are playing very well right now, and maybe they need another shot in the arm, and maybe Butler is the one to do it. So I, I think he's going to play tonight. There's been nothing official about it, but – Everything seems to be pointing in that direction that he'll be back on the court, and boy, do they need him right now? Yeah, that's like, for sure. They are there. It's a bad vibe around there right now. Like if they can, if they win tonight and they beat the Grizzlies, it's really hard for them to miss the playoffs, if not impossible. But tonight's this is tonight's game is kind of the swing game. Like there's like an 90 percent chance based on whatever website you want to check that they make the playoffs. But the Lakers just beat the Spurs. The Lakers are not lying down for teams right now. So this is this is a huge one for if Jimmy Butler can just come in and play some defense and 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 give the team a lift and they win by a point in a fluke way at the end they they probably make the playoffs so we'll see Johnny yeah and they're just not playing well right now guys I mean they haven't played well for two weeks yes and so no 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 game is a gimme the Lakers even the Grizzlies on Monday is not a gimme with the way that they're playing so that's why they need Jimmy Butler back in to give him give them that boost and 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 hope they can he can bring it they they. They sorely need a jolt in the arm right now. Yep. Theathletic.com slash Timberwolves, by the way, where you can read Johnny's stuff. Thank you, Johnny K. Appreciate it. Thanks, fellas. All right. John Krasinski. So I didn't know if you were going to jump in there or not. But theathletic.com slash Timberwolves. Yes. Read stuff. He's on on the trip, too. So, yeah. I mean, it's interesting, though, because I think we all see what's wrong. And I don't think we have any idea about if it gets solved. Like, it's not just a short term. It's not just a little. It's not a slump. Like it feels if if they were just in a shooting slump or something, you'd say, well, this is a really bad time to go in, into it. But they can come out. But this feels like it feels like a funk way more than a more, slump. It's something more rotten. Like there's something something eroding or cancerous like I told Dukes, about it. It's something that involves people, not just players. Like if this was a player issue and they could and and they were struggling in certain things that could just be fixed. Yeah. But this feels like an actual workplace problem. Well, it's also going to be really hard to maximize your potential as a collective if the individual pieces within that collection don't really enjoy each other's company. Correct. In sport I think there's other areas where you can maybe get away with that. In basketball, there might be other sports like baseball. It's kind of it's a series of individual matchups. Mm-hmm. You could have Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent hating each other. I'm not saying that players hate each other. I just think there's a grading nature. There's not. There's certainly not. Uh, you know, twelve guys all on the same page with the coach in alignment trying to achieve a goal. No cohesion. It's a lot of, it's a lot of guys pulling on uh, different ropes. Yep. 
Let's come back. We, uh, we'll talk more Twins here later on this hour. We have Chris Singleton at 1130. It's a game show Friday, and we will give away twin tickets for Sunday's game between now and 1 o'clock. Luther Brookdale Toyota is, uh, they're not giving away cars, certainly, but, you know, you can get great deals on durable vehicles, and you can check out those deals at LutherBrookdaleToyota.com, where uh, my family and I have been going for three-plus decades I recommend these 2018 Camrys, first and foremost, with all kinds of upgrades to the exterior, a much more sleek, sporty look to the Camry. You've got the Entune System 3.0 on the interior, which is an 8-inch touchscreen, allowing you access. You can connect your phone. You can have uh, you know multiple apps that you have access to right at the tip of your fingers, and all the safety features, too that help keep you and your family uh, just with peace of mind. And speaking of peace of mind, the service department at Luther Brookdale Toyota has been giving my family peace of mind for a long time. And just you don't have to worry about any shenanigans or uh, or you know any weird upcharges. It's all it's experts. It's a brand new upgraded facility as of five or six years ago. Check it out, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard, Luther Brookdale Toyota. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Ready or not. On 1500 ESPN. A high fly to deep left field. And we have a tie game. And Sano does indeed hit a home run with a man on base. 0-2 to Mitch Garver. A high fly deep down the left field line to the corner. Judd, I'm not sure if you knew this, but the Twins also played yesterday. The Wolves weren't the only team that played yesterday. I might have gone. I might have been there. The Twins. Another, I wasn't disgusted, though. Another 2-0 deficit overcome from the from the early innings. Another kind of meh pitching performance by a starter that the bullpen locks down for uh, for the half of the game, That uh, the second half of the game. Mitch Garver, by the way, the go-ahead home run yesterday. Twins minor league player of the year last year. He is, of all these names that we talk about, the young crop of you know, the current guys on the 25-man, and then all of the uh, prospects, the Nick Gordons and Royce Lewis's. Well, Mitch Garver, mm-hmm. he's not exactly you know 21 years old anymore. He's in his mid-20s, but super intriguing player. Could be the catcher of the next five or six years for the Twins. Also has experience playing outfield, first base. He is a valuable Swiss Army knife for the Twins, and he hits his first Major League home run yesterday. So maybe... Maybe Mitch Garver can be welcome to the party now for the Twins. So I, I think the most impressive thing that, that I've seen the past two days, uh, and in the Thursday game especially, though, is this. Because this would not have happened last year. The Twins lose that game last year, I think, and here's why. Kyle Gibson goes back to being himself, basically. I mean, he wasn't a disaster, but he got off to a rough start. Four and a third, seven hits, two runs. Just not, you know, an okay start. But then now you bring in Rodgers, you follow that with an out from Presley, you go to Duke, Reed, and Rodney. Mm-hmm. And your bullpen now in six games is has given up five runs in 20 and, and a fraction innings, has a 2.24 ERA. Reed, by the way, has retired 17 of 20, and I love this guy. And they have given you 13 and a third scoreless consecutive. Addison, yeah, go this ahead. Is, no, but my my point being is it might not be super sexy, but that's the exact type of game where Gibby, Gibby pitches not great, your bullpen comes in, and they're okay, but they're not great, and you lose 4-2. to two. 
I really think Addison Reed is going to go down if he's if he, assuming he stays healthy all year. Is one of the sneakier signings in the you know there's the JD Martinez like big splash, but Addison Reed on that two year deal and a guy who's totally open to not caring about saves as a stat. The fact that he relishes that role between the seventh and eighth and maybe ninth innings and doesn't get offended if you're using him in a non-save situation. Like he's a classic multi-inning firefighter out of the bullpen. Uh, so we'll talk some some twins upcoming here with Chris Singleton. He's our Friday talking twins guest from ESPN. You see him all over the place, baseball tonight, and he does games as a color commentator. But uh, the Wolves vent lines have been open the entire show. Six five one six four six eight two five five. What's up, Tom? Um, thanks for taking my call, guys. I, I find it kind of ironic that Glenn Taylor is a uh, has the Midas touch in virtually every other aspect of his life. But when it comes <laughs> to the Wolves, um, we should have known when he sat down with Wiggins and had his, you know, wisdom full of whatever conversation to come to the conclusion to give him the max that this thing, this season was going to get all screwed up. Uh, yep. Uh, I don't know what it is about Glenn. He's obviously knows what he's doing business-wise in every other aspect of his life. But when it comes to owning this team, he just doesn't seem to have it. It is amazing, Tom. That's an amazing point in that Glenn Taylor is worth, what, a couple billion dollars, right? What's his net worth? I think it's like $2 billion. Let's call yeah. it 2 or $3 billion. Yeah, I think two is a very safe and assessment. So in order to generate a net worth of something with that many zeros. It's not just you like working in a dark room and, you know, selling units on the internet. I mean, you're building teams and staffs and you're hiring managers and you're hiring directors and you're 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 sitting on top of these big entities and systems. Like you're crafting systems and you're hiring the right people and those people are are pumping cash flow back into your net worth. So how can he be so good at setting up other systems and hiring other people and leaders and directors and managers, and he can't get it right in two decades with a basketball team he on? I finally broke down in the last month and and asked a person I trust that very question. Because his, his latest big purchase is the Star Tribune. And in an era where newspapers are failing miserably, where the Pioneer Press has the smallest average you can have, and where the Denver Post is laying off people when when they basically should probably, if they're going to do that, just fold up shop. Star Tribune's doing great. So I finally broke down and I said, okay, so he he's not dumb. I mean, let's... Wait, is it doing great because of Glenn Taylor? It was doing fine before he it was bought doing, it, right? It was, doing, it was doing okay and it was doing fine, but it's thriving. It's thrived with Glenn Taylor in an industry that's not thriving at all. That That's the thing is... Glenn's not Glenn's not piling on and and making more in a business that's doing well. He's thriving with a company that's in a business that is really down right what now and answer? has been for years. And here's the answer. What I was told is this. Everything else he approaches in a business-like manner. But ever since he bought the Wolves, and keep in mind, he saved them. So, so this was... he. He was not a guy who, who throughout the, the course of, of his life was saying, I'd like to buy a sports team. I think he was a guy who stepped in and said, I can buy the sports team to save save this asset for, for my town. I was told the Wolves are the one thing that's his toy. He perceives them as a toy. He wants to be friends with the people that work there. He doesn't see it as a business. He sees it as something that is fun to own, and he wants to be friends with employees, and he wants, and he, you know, I mean, the caller's right. He really thinks he's qualified to sit down with Andrew Bleeping Wiggins and say, look me in the eye. Look me in the eye and tell me. 
But he, but okay, but but here's the thing. He is qualified to do that as a guy who has sat down with countless directors and managers and but employees wait, and, and, and built a net wait, worth of billions. But wait, he, he is qualified to do that. Right. But wait, the important thing is this, though. As a businessman, he is, but he sees the wolves as his toy. He's he considers he considers Wiggins to be either a friend or a guy who here's a star athlete who I employ. And I love this guy. If he looked at him as he would the CEO of the Star Tribune, he would be qualified. That's the point. The Wolves are his toy. Everything else is run as a $2 billion business. And if you run it that way, guess what? You're much more likely to make decisions that aren't decisions of passion. They're decisions of common sense, and they're wise decisions. I mean, I would think that after two-plus decades of failing in your... I've just been trying to figure out why this is the one thing that always... Because he's not an idiot. He's a smart businessman, and it makes... It stretches my ability to reason why this is the one thing that's gone sideways for so long. I would think your toy would be a lot more fun if it was more successful and you treated it like something that you were trying to make more successful. But I agree. Who who am I to question a multi-billionaire? I agree. Let's talk some baseball here. Talk some more Twins. Get some stories from Chris Singleton. He's our Friday guest on Talking Twins from ESPN. And we'll do that from the TCL Broadcast Studios when we come back. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Both of them sketchy and sometimes slow. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd are Talking Twins now. With former player turned ESPN baseball analyst Chris Singleton. And Rosario lifts it to right. It's high, deep. Yeah, that was uh, that was a little little insurance for the Twins yesterday. Chris Singleton from ESPN, looking at the old iPhone forecast here. Actually, the current temp in the middle of a Twins homestand, mind you, in which they're lucky they have an off day today. It's 18 degrees temperature and one degree wind chill with northwest winds of 22 miles per hour. You might have played some cold games in early April at uh, in in the windy city back in the day. What's the coldest you've ever been playing baseball? Wow, nothing like that, guys. <laughs> that's and, uh, aggressive. Good, good morning. Yeah, morning. that's that's intense. I, I think back to uh, I, I, the coldest that you know from from a playing perspective. Yeah, we had some cold days in Detroit. Um, you know, if there were any cold days early in the season in Minnesota, it was great because you had the Metrodome <laughs> just neutralized the cold, right? So that was one of the things even thinking about when they were preparing to build Target Field. And the first question is retractable roof right it's gonna and when you when i heard no i'm thinking oh man that's gonna be tough in april um but this is the toughest that i i've seen for me you know as a player i, I remember some cold times in chicago after <laughs> my rookie year it was so cold again i don't remember the temperature but you you go up there as a hitter and you're saying to yourself okay i can't feel my hands i don't want to get jammed because if i oh. get jammed then i mean it's gonna be it's gonna hurt so much and then I, got, I got hit in the knee by a uh Pitcher for Kansas City, and, and you there? Yeah, yep. yeah, yep. Okay, sorry. So something came. I got hit in the knee, and I fall to the ground. And uh, I mean, I'm just I'm in so much pain. So then, you know, a week later, we have kangaroo court, and I get banged by the veterans for impersonating a dead man. Um, 
you're in a game. And I was like, man, I'm just a rookie. Like, this is the coldest weather I've ever played in. But, uh, but yeah, it can be tough. And it can be really tough on the on the hitters, like, this, this time of year. So, hey, you know, Twins, keep that good pitching going. Take advantage of the, of the cold weather. And, um, you know, I know it's a little harder for them as well to feel, feel the ball. But I still think the pitchers have the advantage in this situation. You know, one time we, I was doing a game as a broadcaster, actually, in Philly. And the game got – I'm not, not in Philly. It was the – uh, Phillies and the Rockies in a playoff game. And it was so cold that they actually postponed the game a day. Um, what was the? So, do you remember what the temp was? Because the question here we had we had Thad Levine, the Twins GM, on yesterday, and we asked him like how how cold is too cold to play a baseball game? And they said they are weighing that day to day during this homestand. Like what what was the temp that day? Man, you know what? I'd have to pull that up and try to see. I was working with Gary Thorne, Orioles, uh, you know, TV announcer. We're doing it for ESPN Radio, and I mean it was. Good God! I mean, I had to say it was in the teens. Um, yeah, you know, you know, maybe around nineteen degrees. I mean, it was, and it had snowed a day or two before that, so it was just stiff, and it, there was nothing. And then when we actually did do the game a day later, I'd never experienced like in the ballpark this cold. But we had to as soon as we went to commercial break after the inning, closed out the inning. We both dropped our headsets and we'd go into you know run into the hallway. And we'd stay in the hallway in between innings to try to stay warm as long as we could and then jump back out right before we came back on air. That's how cold it was. I found the game. It was, uh, the, so when so the game got postponed the next day it was uh, like it was just above freezing, it said with some with some so just above freezing to do a three and a half hour playoff baseball game. yeah. yeah, so the day that the day that it was postponed, I wonder what the temperature was uh, that day. I mean, that was like. It was it was cold, man. But it's not. You know, you thought it would be. I always thought, hey, it's going to be easier as a broadcaster, or even on cold days. You know, you're up in the booth, and now it's all see more. But it's that's not always the case either. It, it's rarely the case. So uh, I've learned to uh, to always take warm stuff, even when I'm calling games. And uh, sometimes it doesn't have to be, you know, early in the season. You go to a place like you know San Fran or what? It's better to take your warm stuff because it's going to get chilly. So, um, with the way things are now, expanded playoffs to Chris, how about this? 154-game schedule. How about we lop some games off? Because, you know, this goes back to when in, in 61, I think it was the first year that they went to 162. That was, mm-hmm. that was you won the AL or NL and went immediately to the World Series. Now you've got, what, mm-hmm. three rounds of playoffs, wild card game. How about we go to a 154 game regular season schedule? It sounds good, and I think players would like. Yeah, that sounds great. Until you start talking about financial terms, and yeah. you know, teams saying, "Well, if we're going to shorten the season, then there's revenue lost in games and everything else, so we're going to have to adjust, um, you know, salaries." And that's where whoa, 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 whoa. That's where the players <laughs> like. Okay, let's let's just stop this conversation now. It sounds good um, until we you know start reducing salaries or or capping to an extent. So, you know I, that's that's where I think the problem. And as we've seen, guys, I mean, it's anytime there seems like, hey, this is a pretty you know rational decision. Why don't they consider this or do this? There's so many factors that come in with the players, you know, union and you know ownership side, and it's just so it's so entangled and so complicated. Uh, to what on the outside seems like, ah, oh, this is an easy fix. Yeah. I mean, some of it, too, is just if you, like for the Twins, for instance, if you're going to play home games this early, 
At least have the yeah. home games be against divisional opponents that you play 19 times. If if there's a game that gets snowed out this weekend against the Mariners, now you lose an off day in July or August because you have to figure out a Monday uh, to play one game. So there's definitely things they could do at least with 162 games to make it easier on some of these cold-weather teams not have to make up games later on. Yeah, I mean, you you the... The conversation a lot of times is okay if you're an East Coast team, why don't you start out, you know, on the in Midwest and West for the season? Avoid the cold, avoid the delays and all that. And uh, you know, it sounds it sounds simple, but I, I gotta believe when you start those people that are doing the, the planning and the schedules, and they, you start looking at all these different things, that it it becomes complicated. I, I'm pretty, you know, selfishly speaking, I'm pretty. Uh, I'm pretty happy with ESPN schedule out of the gates because we're usually in the Northeast. You know, got to have Yankees Red Sox on early. Yeah, and uh, and it's freezing cold. But you know, we've been out west. You know, out in, in LA um, for the Dodgers, and uh, you know, had that opening day game in New York on Monday, Tuesday. Uh, I mean, their home opener in New York. Yeah. We're back out. You know, this weekend. Unfortunately, we're in DC. It's supposed to snow Saturday, but you know, we're back out to Houston and back out to the West Coast a couple of times. So. It seems like, at least to some degree, for whatever reasons, it, it kind of made sense on the radio TV side. But, um, yeah, somebody's always going to be unhappy on the baseball side. If you try to, you know, accommodate certain teams for weather, there's going to be someone that's, that gets snubbed. So Stanton, first game, got booed, huh? Five strikeouts yeah. and the fans were done with him. <laughs> he should be really thankful to Didi Gregorius hitting behind him that yeah. just you know, stole the show and kind of helped get people's uh, attention a little bit off of uh, Giancarlo. But I, I found this is that the boos were, you know, the boos weren't you staying, get out of town. The boos were like, you know, come on, we got, you know, we got this great ticket. We came to see the show. You and or Aaron Judge hit, you know, hit a ball two miles. And that's kind of what I felt. Like it was the fans saying, listen, we came to see the show. Not like you stink, you're terrible, you struck out five times. And uh, there's a slight difference um, in that tone. I don't know if Giancarlo necessarily could detect that because he's new to New York and everything else. But having you know been in New York a lot over the years, you sense when, hey, this is like a vicious tone and this is a kind of a more of a disappointed, we expect you know, good things from you. You know, the bad thing is that when the fans get to the point where they're booing you before you walk to the plate. So when they announce your name and they're booing you, that's a bad place to be in as a player. If they're booing you after the fact, there's a chance that there's still, like, a lot of support and hope in that boo. What's the most aggressively or what's the most radio-friendly heckling story you can tell from standing out in, in the old Yankee Stadium, standing out in the outfield? Oh, man. Um... You know, people buy a ticket to a game and they feel like it's their right, like to just release all the stress and frustration and everything that they have going on in their lives. Not everyone, but some some people do. And uh, I remember in batting practice one day in in New York, old Yankee Stadium, and uh, about there in center field, right center field, and you know, it's kind of a short porch. The fans are there, obviously. The gates are open. We're hitting. And um, I got this fan that's just, I mean, you can hear him. He's like right there. It's not, you're not that far away, really. Yeah. The only thing that separates you much is the fence. But, I mean, he's cussing me out. And uh, he's calling me, like, all kinds of things. And it's different when there's a big crowd and there are a lot of voices and you hear something. But when it's kind of quiet and there's a person that's sort of calling you out like that, you <laughs> you turn around and you're like, hey, buddy, just jump over the fence just jump over the fence and just come down on the field. Like it's, 
it's it's gone to that personal level. And and you learn as a professional, you get to a point where, all right, you get to the big leagues quickly, you adjust to understand, hey, you just let it all flow. Let it go. It, you don't you know, don't dial into it because it'll distract you from what you need to do. Yeah. But this was one of those that pulled me away from my game, and it was like, come on, man. Seriously, like, just jump over the fence. Let's go. It's amazing how there's a, there's a couple circumstances in life where you've – you would never speak or yell at someone in a certain way if you have a white line, like a sports white line that's separating you, or a car. Like, if you're in your car, like, the things that you'll yell at someone or vice versa from the safety of your car, even though you might be 10 feet away, you would never yell those things if you just bumped into somebody, you know, in a in a hallway. Or if there's a, if there's a white line, a foul line that's separating you from a fan, like... If you were just standing face to face, that fan would never do that. You know, you would just be two humans having a conversation. But there's some sort of entitlement or empowerment that goes into to that uh, that barrier. It's called Twitter now, and Twitter is another one. Oh man! <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, you should see some of the things that. Uh, well, I mean, I know you do, but you know, for example, a good friend of mine, Jessica Mendoza. Oh you know, my gosh! Who does a Sunday night? And um, good friends with her her husband, and spend some time with them um, away from baseball and. Sometimes the things he tells me, and I can only imagine, like, wow, man, like, um, for me, if like, someone was viciously attacking my wife like this, I, I don't want to go find the person. It's like, un- it's unbelievable beyond, beyond what you could even imagine. Um, do just, you know, male, you know, individuals in a sport that's dominated by men in baseball, but then you have a female that steps in and yep. just trying to do a good job and everything else and everything that she has to endure. Just it, it raises the level of respect I have for her to be able to go about her, her job the way that she does and endure so much hostility, you know, out there in social media. What, what was the, the worst place to play as far as abuse went d- during the course of your career? Um, let's see. You know, it's interesting how, you know, time just allows things to sort of fade <laughs> a little bit. You know, hold on to it as much you know, as you did. Uh, I, I'll, I will say this. When I went into Philly... Yep. I was really concerned because I knew about, hey, they threw batteries at guys and everything else. Um, but it turned out when I went into Philly as a visiting player, it's kind of funny because they hated their own team more than they hated the visiting team. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as concerned as I was, being out, you know, hey, I'm playing, playing center field and, and uh, you know, the vet and, you know, man, I might get smoked by battery and I've heard about these different things and everything else. But then when I saw how angry they were at their team, like just announcing the lineups before the game, hearing them boo their own players, I was like, okay, wow, maybe they hate their own guys more than me. And it was, so that's kind of a funny story, a place where I really expected it, uh, you know, to be bad. But, you know, you go to Chicago and when you're new to Chicago, the Cubs, and you don't, like, know, like, you really, like, wow, these people are intimidating out there in the outfield. And one of the, the advice I got from a veteran player, like, listen, they know that you hear them. So don't act like you don't hear them, because if you act like you don't hear them, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. And uh, so once I kind of went through that, and I tried to still, like, play it, like, oh, I don't hear them. And then um, then I remember one time, a guy yelling, Singleton, we know you hear us. We've been here for years. <laughs> and so... Uh, so finally, when I turn around and acknowledge them after something that I did or whatever, maybe I struck out or something like that, and they were on me, and I came out, and I just kind of gave them a wave and laughed, and it was over. So, you know, initially it seemed like, okay, this is going to be a tough place, but once you kind of embraced them out there a little bit as a visiting player from the south side, they were like, 
all right, he's okay guy. Yeah, that's awesome. Chris Singleton from ESPN uh, every Friday with us at 1130. I'm Mackie and Judd. We'll catch up next week, man. Man, we don't get to talk unwritten rules. Well, that's not well. Let's do. Yeah, let's go. That was like <laughs> go, a, go, go. You know ahead. what? We no. Let's do. It. We have a couple more minutes here. Like we we hammered that. So we we forgot about that almost because there's been a couple of games. But so yeah, Brian Dozier uh, very offended by uh, dropping a bunt down against a shift. So what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, it's. I'll just try to be quick. You know, the unwritten rules because like every team has their own set of them based on the circumstances. You're, you're never gonna. We need to have someone actually. Like here's a written copy of the unwritten rules, and I was thinking, hey, why don't we, why don't we factor something in since we're in all the metrics? Like factor in win probability, and let's put that up on the scoreboard. So there's a win probability score, and that allows you to do certain things in situations. So that I way, love it. <laughs> you, have some, you have some type of judge or guide that says, okay, hey, our win probability was over 35 percent. Therefore, I can drop this bunt down. It's okay because we have a chance. If it's under, you know, 15 percent. Then let's play it, you know, I don't know, something. It, it seems like you need a referee almost to sort of come in and, and, you know, decide these things because everybody, they're looking through their, their lens and you're just going gonna to be offended uh, regardless. I love the idea of, uh, of WPA on the screen. Listen, when I flipped my bat to pimp that home run, my teammates got jacked up and it increased our WPA by 10%. So, therefore, I had to flip my bat. I'm yeah. sorry. And, and, Chris, no and, and Chris, I can't find one person beyond the, the Twins who actually think that, that there was some unwritten rule broken, including yeah. veteran players. Right. For the most yeah. part, they said it's absolutely fine. They shifted yeah. on him. He bunted. That's, you know, the price of shifting right there. Right. Right. And it's like if you're on first base and you're a runner and they're not holding you on, yes. they're basically saying, we don't care. You know, like we don't care if you take second base. Um, doesn't matter. Uh, so if you get upset about a guy going, it's like, well, you, you took away by not holding him on. You took away some space defensively to defend the hitter. I mean, it's one thing if you're up by a whole lot, but even with that, you know, it can come down. I mean, these managers and these teams, they can, uh, they can kind of have their own little, you know, backstory of, of the, you know, revenge or whatever. So, you know, I, I, that's one part of it. You just kind of have to let the human element go, and and everybody just. Relax, I guess I'd say. That's yes. what we all need to do. Just relax. Exactly, exactly. Great, good stuff, Chris. We'll talk next week, man. See ya. Okay, guys. Look forward to it. Thanks. All right, Chris Singleton from ESPN and ESPN Radio. Mackie and Judd, we're still going to give away Twins tickets for Sunday's game uh, sometime between now and 1 o'clock. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Yeah, screw those guys. I don't even like them. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. The band. Save the date. The fourth the annual Town Ball Classic returns to Target Field May 26th. It's presented by 1500 ESPN and the Minnesota Twins. The day kicks off at 10 a.m. with Class C action, Class B at 1, and then Class A 4 p.m. All the games broadcast right here on 1500 ESPN. Tickets to get in are just $10. They are good for the full day of ball, and all the proceeds from the event benefit the Twins Community Fund. For more info or to purchase your tickets, just head to 1500ESPN.com, keyword town ball. <laughs> Very solemn moment and a patriotic moment and an uncooperative ball eagle, but we're ready to play baseball nonetheless. What would you guys do if a bald eagle with knives on its feet, not just landed on your eagle. neck. Challenger, famous. No, so what are, they, what are they saying? The, the, the eagle got confused because Paxton's uniform looked like the trainer's uniform, and then the glove on his hand 
looked like the perch? I'm. I or is it because he's apparently he's from Canada? Say that. Yeah, maybe I'm, it's because yeah. he's from Canada. That's what people. It was saying. very bizarre. <laughs> maybe was, like maybe Challenger is kind of like Willie Mays falling down in the outfield. It might <laughs> no, be time. it is time. No, <laughs> it might no. Be you time. know what? You know what? You know what? That's a great point. <laughs> yesterday, yesterday is why I call for limiting opening day ceremonies. Bald Eagles out. Tired of them. I thought don't you were going to get on the road of you don't want to see. Once great athletes or once pe- people who were once great at their crafts, you don't want to see them go over the cliff like Challenger yeah. did. No, that's true. But that gives me that th- this is Dave's right. Watching Challenger, a once great, always going oh, to his handler, majestic. Bald Eagle, go to James Paxton. You know what? Challenger's done. Bald Eagle's out. Time to retire. Bring up the uh, the kid from AAA. No, actually, I want to get rid of the whole idea of an eagle flying into my stadium. They're bringing a crow for a couple games. I just want to, just no, a no, gap. no more birds. Okay, you're not hearing me. No more birds at opening day. Let's okay. limit all of this stuff. What okay? is it with Twins let's, opening let's day? Let's play ball. Last year, Dessa got sick. We had to bring in someone else to do the anthem. I forgot about that. This year, that. we've got Challenger, and we've got Team Schuster almost killing who had two different twins. Yeah. Then there was a year where like Vance Worley had to start. <laughs> He almost killed three guys yeah. in the left field bleachers with bombs. I like that one. That's good. Uh, it is, yeah, it is. It might. I think it might be time just to scale it back next Let's year. Just have Maybe a ball just, game. You know, introduce the, the players and stuff, and then you know have the kids come out for the national Here's anthem the like usual on the warning track. That's fine. That's fine. Starting lineups too. I'm tired of entire rosters. I don't need entire rosters. I don't well, need it's only to know. once though. It's it's well, it's well, it's twice. It's once for the home opener and then whatever other road openers but, you happen right, to be. Right, right, right. But I'm saying, give me the nine, line them up, and then say, and here's the rest of the twins, and just bring them out. Was your day really impacted in an ad? The home ad- opener takes far way? too long. The home opener takes far too long, and if you're going to start it at three o'clock, let's <laughs> let's expedite things and let's get the ceremonies down to. Uh, as few things as possible. What other big time things did you miss out on yesterday afternoon? Like what? When they introduced the bench players for the Mariners, it prevented you from doing what at like four thirty. Actually, I I or whatever, used that time o'clock. to go to the bathroom, so I did avoid that entirely. But I don't like it. I don't want it. Give me the nine players. So you're in stall three while the Eagle was attacking James. No, Paxton. I saw that. I okay. saw that. Poor James Paxton. I felt he, bad. He handled that post game. I'm telling you, if that were me. I probably would have done so. Like, I would have swatted or got, I would have panicked in some way. And I would then have I would fallen have, to the ground. I would have died. Strategically, you would have fallen to the ground. My instinct would have been to go to the ground. Just the ground. Yes. He just stood still. That would be and then after the game, he was like, well, I wasn't going to outrun an Eagle, so I guess whatever. We'll see what happens. I would have tried. <laughs> I would have turtled to just the ground. Sprinting. And once the Eagle got off, I would have gotten up and sprinted <laughs> as far as I could and dove into the first row of uh, bleachers ha- I could find. Wouldn't that have to hurt a little bit? Yeah, they got the the sharp talons, the they knives, do. as he, as Phil said. That's the reason they got to wear the giant leather glove, yeah. the ha- handler yeah. guy. You know, yeah. 44-year-old Ichiro is so featherweight light now, too. I would have half expected the Eagle to pick Ichiro up and, like, fly him out of target field. <laughs> Drop him oh, in the no, Eagle nest. We, we found him in Burnsville. He's dead. <laughs> found Ichiro in Burnsville. The Eagle took Ichiro to Burnsville. <laughs> This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.